0: Hello, my name is Mary. The Old Testament reading is found in Genesis 1, verses
1: 1 through 4.
0: In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, and there was darkness over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters.
1: And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. The word of the Lord.
0: Hi, my name is Jossie. The New Testament reading is found in Romans 8, verses 9 through 11. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of the him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. The word of the Lord. Be to God. Good morning, my name is Debbie. Thank you for standing for the gospel reading found in John twenty, nineteen through twenty-two. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit, the gospel of the Lord.
1: Please remain standing with me as we pray. Jesus, we pray that you would do the same thing for us today that you did then, that you would reveal yourself to us, that you would speak peace to our hearts today, and that you would fill us once again with the Holy Spirit, that the Spirit would be among us we would be aware of his work and his ministry to us and through us. Lord, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. 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 You may be seated. Good morning, New Life Downtown. It's great to see you today. Uh, my name is Jason Jackson. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're visiting with us this morning, maybe you came because a family member was getting baptized. Maybe somebody invited you. Maybe you just were walking by. You ended up here. You're visiting someone from out of town. Thanks for being here. We're absolutely delighted that you are here. If you're watching online this morning, uh, we wish you well. And we hope to see you in person someday. Hope that you are safe and warm and everything uh, at home. Today is the second Sunday in what's called the season of Easter. Most of us think about Easter as a day, but it's actually a season. There's a season of preparation for Easter called Lent, where we fast for 40 days. Then there's a season of feasting for Easter. So you get to eat for 50 days celebrating. It's like all the peeps you can eat until June 5th. And they're like, two cents a piece right now at Target or whatever. But can I be honest? I hate peeps. Like, I think they may be the worst candy idea ever. Like, put it in the microwave, it's fascinating. Put it in my mouth, and I want to spit it out. I, I'm a sucker for those Reese's peanut butter eggs. It's like, the, it's like the, per- the special Reese's have that perfect balance of chocolate and peanut butter. I don't know why they don't make all the Reese's. That way, we have to wait for those special seasons. Uh, Today, or actually back in January, we started a a new sermon series uh, called Who is God? And we're spending kind of January through June uh, talking about our Christian belief in one God who exists in three persons. And so we spent the first few weeks of the series talking about God the Father. And then during Lent and Easter, we talked about God the Son, Jesus. And today, we're transitioning to the third and final part of the series, talking about God the Holy Spirit. And now, I know when you say that in a room like this, there's probably a variety of reactions. For some of you, maybe you have like a charismatic Pentecostal background, or you're experiencing sort of a renewal of your life, with the Holy Spirit, and you're like, yes, finally, we're getting to the exciting stuff, and you've been waiting for us to get here for a long time. For others of you, maybe you're new to faith, or you've been around faith for a long time, but this has always been a bit confusing. It's like, Father, I kind of get that. Son, I get that, but I'm kind of confused by the Holy Spirit. And so you come into a conversation like this with some curiosity saying, okay, I'm just, I'm wondering what this is all about and have some questions and wrestling and things that you're trying to sort out as it relates to the Holy Spirit. For others of you, maybe immediately when I said that, guards went up Uh, because you've maybe experienced some really hard or painful or confusing things in church. And oftentimes those conversations were connected to the Holy Spirit. And so there's some caution here. You're like, "Uh uh-oh, I was really liking this church, but now here's where the rails go. This is where it goes off the rails. I don't know what's going to happen, and there's just some resistance there. And guys, I get it. I think at, at some point in my life, I've had all of those feelings about the Holy Spirit and more. When I was a kid, growing up in a small Midwest town, our family was sort of loosely connected to church. And so it, we, you know, went occasionally. Church didn't really have a huge part to play in our home life. We didn't talk about Jesus a lot. We didn't pray a lot. But we went to church occasionally. And so I had kind of an idea of who the father was. Like, the father made sense to me. And the son, like, yes, Jesus, like, he's a really cool dude. I like him. Uh, and then the spirit, I was, it was really confusing to me. And it didn't help that the church kept referring to him as the Holy Ghost, like, they just made it worse for me. I, like, my only context for ghosts were movies and cartoons. And so, like, my first image was something from Ghostbusters. I'm like, that was never good news. Like, you had to capture those ghosts and put them in, you know, some sort of ectoplasm chamber or something. I can't even remember, but it, it was scary. My other context was Scooby Doo, which is like, ghosts aren't real. They're always humans, like, dressed up in some sort of costume. So I was really confused. And then I remembered Casper. It's like maybe the Holy Spirit's like Casper, like the friendly ghost in some capacity, but it's just vague for me. And then I, when I became a follower of Jesus in the end of high school, I started going to this charismatic Pentecostal church with my friends. And I remember walking into this church and there's like a band on stage. People are raising their hands and they're dancing and they're yelling. And, and then I started hearing strange languages like being spoken. And I was like, what is going on? And then people are coming forward for prayer and they're being overwhelmed by the presence of God and they're laying on the floor. And we're going, this is weird. I have no clue what's happening here. And yet, as a teenager, going through the things I was going through at the time, I was desperate for God. I was hungry for God. I wanted all of God I could possibly sort of wrap myself around. So I was like, I'll go forward for prayer. Anything that they're doing, I'm going to give it a try. And I had some life-transforming experiences in that church. Some things that, to this day, I don't think I can fully explain. And yet, I know that the Spirit of God showed up and did something in my life. And then I'm different because of those things. Then I went to a college that was a a charismatic university, and they talked about the Holy Spirit all the time. Um, They talked about primarily in terms of anointing, like what, what, what ministry have you been anointed for? What spiritual gifts do you have? And there was a lot of conversation around healing and praying for healing and the Spirit of God healing people. And there were some really beautiful things with that, but it also got caught up in what's called the prosperity gospel, where there was this sense that developed that if you have enough faith, then you can be healed and you can be wealthy, that you will have full health and full wealth if you just have enough faith. And I personally had a reading through the New Testament for the first time, and I'm going, ah. I don't know how this fits with that. Jesus is saying you're going to be persecuted and that hard things are going to happen in life. And then I was learning about the historic church and the global church. I was like, this doesn't line up with the scriptures and with Christianity throughout history and time. So I began to really, really struggle. I saw some things and I heard some things that I couldn't reconcile with the scriptures and with the church. And so I began to become very guarded and and even a bit closed off to be honest, about some of the conversations around the Spirit. And then I went to seminary. And the seminary that I went to talked about the Spirit in terms of transformation, primarily emphasized that the Spirit is the one who sanctifies us, who helps us to live like Jesus. And all of a sudden, I began to sort of like open back up again to this idea. spirit was of like, I really like this sense of the Spirit helping us to live a different kind of life. And over the course of my years there with some conversations and books, the Lord just sort of helped me start to untangle some of the knots that had developed in my own sort of theology around the spirit. And uh, over the course of time, begin to say, like, actually, all of these streams of church And the way that they talk about Jesus, there's beautiful, or the way they talk about the Spirit. There are beautiful things here. And began to just hold a a more expansive view of the Spirit and began to be more open to what it is that the Spirit wanted to do in and through my life. And my hope for this series is that wherever you find yourself, kind of in that trajectory of emotions and experiences, that you would find a broad and expansive view of the Holy Spirit. And that you would sense his invitation just to be open to him and to open to what he wants to do as we walk through this time together. Amen? Amen. All right. So always in one of these series, like, well, where do you start? Where do you start in talking about the Holy Spirit? And it seems like the best place to start is where uh, it's with a place that says, this is what the church always everywhere has believed about the Spirit. Uh, The church has these things called creeds. Uh, which are summaries of the Christian faith, ancient summaries where the church leaders are gathered together and saying, what do we really believe and how do we say it in the clearest, most concise way possible? And so our statement of faith at New Life Church is the Nicene Creed. The Nicene Creed was originally written in 325 AD by a collection of church leaders. uh, And then it was amended, kind of expanded a bit in 381 AD. And what was really added was a whole lot more about the Holy Spirit. That was a lot of that conversation in 381 was exploring what do we actually believe about the Spirit. And so we're going to begin there today. This is what the Nicene Creed says. This is what Christians confess that we believe about the Spirit, that we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, and the giver of life. And so this morning, I want to talk about those two phrases, the Lord And the giver of life. What do we mean by those things? In the Old Testament, Israel's God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, was known by a personal name. He gave a name that he was known by, and the name is Yahweh. But the people of God in the Old Testament didn't want to misuse or mispronounce or misrepresent his name. So they didn't call him Yahweh. What they called him most of the time was Lord. It's a way of showing reverence and respect for the name and the character of God. It reminded me of a conversation we had with my in-laws when we were getting ready to have our first kiddo. Uh, this was, you know, 13 years ago. That conversation comes up of what do you want to be called, right? What do you want your grandchildren to call you? And Sarah's dad looked at us and said, I think that the kids should call me your eminence, It's like, you know, out of reverence and respect for me as the patriarch of this family, I think that's what the grandchildren should call me. It didn't stick. They call him Papa instead. Uh, So I'm not sure where that ended up landing in the middle of that. But there's a sense that they called God Lord in order to show reverence and respect. In the New Testament, one of the really sort of radical claims of the early church and of Jesus himself was that they were not only calling God the Father Lord, but calling Jesus Lord. And saying, wait, Jesus is in every way God as well. And making this huge statement that Jesus is God. But Paul also applied it to the Spirit. In 2 Corinthians, he says, now the Lord is the Spirit. So the Lord gets connected to Father and to Son and to Spirit. So the creed begins by calling the Holy Spirit Lord to really codify the Christian belief that we have one God who exists in three persons the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And just as the Father is God, and just as the Spirit is God, or the Son is God, the Spirit is in every way God. We have one God who exists in three divine persons. They're equal, they're co equal, they're co eternal. We say it's consubstantial, like of the same substance, it's all these ways for us trying to say the mystery of this one God in three persons. But this matters for us because it emphasizes that the Holy Spirit is a divine person, not a divine force. The Holy Spirit is a divine person, not a divine force. He is a person, and therefore he's personal. He's relational. He is intimate. He is someone that knows us and someone that we can know. He's not an impersonal force. Oftentimes what happens in the church is when we start talking about the Holy Spirit, we have these kind of concrete ideas about the Father, concrete ideas about the Son. And then when we get to the Spirit, all of a sudden we step, we step into Star Wars theology. That's right. The Spirit's like the force, only there's no dark side. There's just the good side of the force, and we're like, it's just sort of everywhere. And then we talk about it like, you know, the Spirit's like those vibes you feel in worship. You know, it's like when we're all together and we're singing, we're just like these holy vibes around, and that's the Spirit of God. And we'll talk about the Spirit in these really, really strange ways. But In this series, what I hope you see is that the, the Holy Spirit is a person, The Spirit acts in deeply personal, deeply relational, deeply intimate ways in our lives. This is who the Spirit is. And we're invited to embrace the Spirit the same way we embrace the Father and the Son, to embrace Him in those same relational ways. Until we do that, until we recognize that the Holy Spirit is a divine person, just like the Father and Son, we will have a difficult time relating to Him. We'll have a difficult time receiving him. We'll have a difficult time participating with him and what it is that he wants to do in and through us. So the Holy Spirit is the Lord. Second thing that the Creed says is that the Holy Spirit is the giver of life. The giver of life. It's interesting, in the Old Testament, the phrase Holy Spirit only occurs two times. Most of the time when the Spirit of God is talked about in the Old Testament, the phrases are used, Spirit of God, Spirit of Yahweh, or if God is talking, my spirit, if we're talking about God, his spirit. And so we use this kind of language. And actually the very first time we encounter the spirit is with that language in Genesis chapter one, chapter one, verse two, actually, but the first two verses start this way. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And now the earth was formless and empty, or formless, and void. And darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. It's this image of the Spirit of God or hovering over this chaotic, lifeless thing. The word hovering is actually only used one other time in the Old Testament. It's used to describe an eagle that hovers over its nest with its eggs and its young. It gives us this picture of the Spirit, sort of brooding over creation before it's filled with life, in order to incubate and to bring forth life from this uh, lifeless thing. Spirit is hovering. In other words, the Holy Spirit is like the first helicopter parent. It's sort of there <laughs> overneath everything. In the next chapter that we see this, it gets a little bit more intimate talking about uh, this idea. It says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. What we see in these opening chapters is this sense that the Spirit of God is giving life. He's brooding or hovering over creation and God is breathing his spirit into humanity, which that means is that every breath you take and every move you make, it's not Sting and the police watching you, but it's the spirit of God animating you. All you Gen Xers just got that like 80s music joke and the rest of you are like, who is Sting? Was he like a wrestler or something? I don't even remember. That's another Gen X reference. I can't help you this morning. <laughs> it's the spirit of God that actually animates. One of the things we can say is that the Holy Spirit gives life to all creation. That the Holy Spirit is the life giver. He gives life to all creation. All of life is a gift. And the Holy Spirit is the giver of life. What that means is that your life is a gift. Every single life is a gift. And that includes your life. Your life is a gift. You do not will yourself into existence. And you do not sustain your life in isolation. I understand there's a whole lot of biological processes and those things that go on in the midst of all of that. But the scriptures want us to realize is that all of life began with the breath of God. And that all life is a gift, which means that your life is a gift and that you matter. Your life is a gift and you matter. I know sometimes it doesn't feel that way. I know sometimes you can be like, yeah, I can understand how this person's life is a gift and that person's life is a gift. My, my life doesn't feel that way. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and saying, life actually doesn't feel anything like a gift. It feels like pain, it feels like hurt, it feels like disappointment. Feels like unmet expectations. It feels like everything that I had hoped and dreamed and planned on, it's all just come unraveled. But nothing's worked out the way that I wanted it to, and life is nothing but hard. Friends, what I'm here to say to you this morning is that even in the midst of that, your life is a gift. And your life matters. And other times it can feel like, how does my life matter? It feels insignificant. I feel lost. I feel like a lost cause. Maybe even feel like a liability or feel like a burden to others. Friends, your life matters. Your life is a gift and your life matters. And what I want you to hear this morning is you are not alone and you are not on your own. that whatever it is that you're facing today, you are not alone and you are not on your own. Look around you. This is what the church does for one another is that we help each other when life starts to feel this way when we start to question whether or not we matter, we start to question whether or not we're significant, when we find ourselves in places where maybe our mental health is failing, maybe it seems like all of our relationships are unraveling, where we feel lost, where we feel confused, where we're caught up in addictions, where we find ourselves in really dark and lonely places, the church exists to help us through those things. But we can only help when we know that there's an ask when we know what's going on. So if you find yourself in that place today, please ask for help. Please share with someone. Please tell them what's going on. If you're battling depression, you're battling anxiety, you're wrestling with all kinds of doubts or confusion, you find yourself stuck in something and you don't know how to get out of it, please ask for help. If you don't know who to ask after service, there'll be prayer teams up here at the front. Come and ask them. If you don't want to come forward, come and grab one of the pastors. If you don't want to talk to them, grab your friend who's here with you today or grab an email addresses and send an email. Help is available. Please let us know what you need and how we can come alongside of you. Amen? Your life matters. Your life is a gift and the church is here for you. Second thing we start to see is that the Gospel of John likes this image of God breathing. Gospel of John picks up on the image in Genesis 2 of God breathing life into Adam. And we find the story at the end of the Gospel of John where the resurrected Jesus appears to his disciples and he walks up to them as they're kind of huddled and he tells them that passage we read, peace be with you. And then it says this, and with that he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. This is John's version of Pentecost of God, the Father, and the Son giving the gift of the Holy Spirit to the church. Most of us are more familiar with the account in Luke's second volume, Acts, where all of the disciples are together in the upper room and they're there praying all together. All of a sudden there's like this sound of rushing wind coming through and then fiery flames kind of start to peer on their heads and they start speaking in other tongues and they flow out of the room and people are like, these guys are crazy. They get accused of being drunk and they're like, we're not drunk, the Holy Spirit. Spirit has come and they start to preach and 3,000 people are added and they get baptized. We're like, this is an incredible story. And John reduces it all to Jesus coming and breathing on people. (laughs) And like in the midst of a pandemic, we can read that differently now, don't we? Jesus coming up and (sighs) going, I'm like, bro. Social distance, Jesus. (laughs) It kind of hits us differently. But what what uh, John wants us to see is he wants us to connect creation and Pentecost. He wants us to connect these two events. He wants us to tune in to the fact that the same Spirit that gives life to creation gives life to the church. That the Holy Spirit gives life to everyone, and the Holy Spirit gives life to the church in Jesus or in Genesis the spirit animates all of creation but in John it says there's a particular way in which the holy spirit animates the church the church exists because of the spirit of god the church sustains is sustained by the Spirit of God. The church didn't will itself into existence. The church isn't just a bunch of people sitting around saying, ah, let's have a good idea of a kind of a gathering thing. Let's do these kind of things. No, the Spirit of God was poured out. And the church was born. And the church continues to sustain over all of the years because the Spirit of God is at work in the church. Even all the things that we read in the New Testament, things like spiritual gifts, where the Spirit's pouring out gifts on people. Why does he do that? For the church. The gifts are never for us. They're for other people. We'll say more about that in a few weeks when we talk about the gifts. But the Spirit is concerned about the life of the church. Even things like apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers and all these positions that we have, they're all put in place by the Spirit and sustained by the Spirit. It's the Spirit that gives life to the church. And the life of the Spirit is actually experienced in and through the church. The life of the Spirit is actually experienced in and through the church. Ephesians chapter 2 puts it this way. Consequently, those of you who have been found in Christ, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but you're fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises up to become a holy temple to the Lord. He's taking temple language and now applying it to the church. It says, in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirits. According to Paul... The church is where the spirit dwells. In the Old Testament, the the spirit dwelt in the tabernacle and then in the temple. And Paul takes that same language and he says, the spirit of God is now actually dwelling in the church. We typically think of that in very individualistic terms. It's Western, 20th, 21st, 2nd, what century are we in? Uh, Americans. We think it in individualistic terms, like the spirit dwells in me, and that's true. But the New Testament is emphasizing the spirit dwells in the church that we together are being fit together in all of our relationships with one another to be a temple, to be the place the Spirit of God dwells. If that's true, then if we isolate ourselves from the church, we're actually isolating ourselves from the life-giving Spirit of God. Not entirely the Spirit can move outside of the church, but when we isolate ourselves from the church, the place, the people, where the Spirit dwells, we're isolating ourselves from the life-giving Spirit. If you're in a place in your life where you're like, I want more of the Spirit. If you want more of the life that the Spirit gives, then anchor your life in the place the Spirit dwells. If you want more of the life the Spirit gives, then anchor yourself in the people in which the Spirit of God dwells. Anchor your life in the church. For Christians, the church is not optional. It's not a little side thing. It's not extra credit. It's actually central to our identity. That's why the church gets talked about in the creed. It's why all the letters in the Testament are to churches. We tend to think of the church as something that's about convenience or about preference. But for the church historic, the church itself, its life is about conviction. It's about, this is where the spirit dwells, and this is my family, and these are the people I'm being knit together with because of Jesus, and so I'm going to anchor my life there with those people, and the spirit of God is going to meet me in the middle of that. The spirit gives life to creation and it gives particular life to the church. What kind of life is that, though? What is the life that the spirit of God is trying to give to the church? What is the life that he gives The the life of the spirit, the life the spirit gives to the church is the resurrection life of Jesus. This is the life the spirit gives. Romans 8 says it this way. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit. Who lives in you. The Holy Spirit gives resurrection life to the church. So the worship team comes forward today. There's a couple ways that that plays itself out. One big grand scale is that we recognize that the Holy Spirit gives life to first creation and the Holy Spirit gives life to new creation. The same Spirit that gave life to the first creation will give life to the new creation. And there is a future dimension to that, that at some point when Jesus returns, and everything is made right and new again, our bodies will be resurrected. And these mortal bodies will be clothed with immortality, will have resurrected bodies like Jesus had when he came out of the grave. And we'll live forever And new heaven and new earth in bodies that don't get sick and don't fail and don't trip over their own feet and don't get sick and don't die. We'll have new bodies. There's a future dimension to that. But the church has always said there's a present dimension as well. The New Testament is constantly saying that if you're in Christ, new creation is already broken in. That resurrection life is already present for you. Paul talks about it all over Romans chapter eight. He so says, do you want to know what resurrection life looks like now? What the kind of foretaste of that's going to be? It's, it's coming in its entirety, but it's already broken in in some way right now. And what does it look like? He says it looks like a life of forgiveness. And those who are in Christ, there is no longer condemnation for you. The resurrection life available to the church right now is the Spirit of God reminding us, teaching us, showing us that we've been forgiven, that you're forgiven. That's what resurrection life looks like now. It's forgiveness beginning to take deep root inside of your soul and knowing I've been forgiven. You want to know what resurrection life looks like now? Paul says it looks like a life of righteousness. That because the Holy Spirit has come, we've been empowered to live in a new way because of Jesus. Because the Spirit lives inside of us, we can now actually follow in the way of Jesus. We're no longer operating with the same old operating system. This is not on us to figure out, oh, how am I going to live right? Instead, the Spirit of God has come and taken up residence inside of us and is teaching us and showing us and maturing us, and we're learning how. To live more and more like Jesus every day because the Spirit t- is inside of us and so that resurrection life, how we're gonna live in the future, we start to learn how to live now. You wanna know what resurrection life looks like? It looks like a life of peace. When the Holy Spirit of God comes and begins to shed peace in us, then in the midst of everything that's going on, we have a peace that doesn't make sense. A peace that passes all understanding. It's like, how are you at peace in the middle of that? Because the Spirit of God is with me. Because God is near me. Because God is with me. And I suddenly have peace in the middle of these things. What does resurrection life look like? It looks like a life of belonging, of knowing that you've been adopted as God's daughter or God's son, that He's taken claim of you, that He's invited you to His table. He says, You're mine. You're my kid. And this is your family. These are all your crazy aunts and uncles. This is the people you've been knit together with. You are not alone, but you've been set into this family. What does resurrection life look like now? It looks like a life of hope. Then we know that the story doesn't end with all these things happening. We can look at our lives and say, none of this is going well. We can be sitting in the midst of hardship and suffering and persecution. We can look at all that's happening in the world and our hearts break and we cry out in prayer and we ask God to change it, but we do so with hope because we know the story doesn't end this way. The story ends differently. We know that Jesus is gonna come back so in the midst of it, there's still hope for us because the spirit has broken in. The resurrection life of the spirit now looks like love. It's knowing you are loved, that God loves you. Father, Son, Holy Spirit is absolutely thrilled and delighted in you. He loves you. He's coming after you. He's relentless. He just keeps coming. His love never fails and never gives up. It never runs out on you. His love is continuing to come. It's a reminder that God is for you, and God is with you. Would you stand with me this morning? This is the life that the Spirit wants to bring to us. And as I said at the very beginning, sometimes we can find places in life we just become resistant to the Spirit. But what I invite us to do is we sing this song, Spirit of God, Fall on Us. If you're willing, would you open up your hands and just say, Holy Spirit, come, I'm open. I want to know you. I want to know you, Holy Spirit. I want to experience the fullness of the resurrection life of Jesus that you have for me now. I'm open to your gifts. I'm open to your anointing. I'm open to your calling. I'm open to be filled by you and used by you, whatever that looks like. Holy Spirit, I just want you. Fall on us. Fill us with life. Fill us with hope. Fill us with joy. Fill us with peace. Fill us with a sense of belonging. Holy Spirit, meet us in this moment. Let's sing this song before we come to the table.